Hey there, this is the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number 17, Take a Look at Your Expectations. You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. How have you been? You will have to excuse my voice today. It's a little raspy. I think I've got some allergies going on or something. Anyway, we're just going to go for this. I am here with another podcast episode for you, and I'm kind of excited about this one. It's something um, that's been on my mind a lot lately. So first, I wanted to let you know really quick about an amazing program that I am offering for moms. This is an eight-week intensive course for women who are looking to deep dive into the tools I teach and really work on their minds. This course is for moms who want to take their parenting to a whole new level and to transform themselves and their relationships. It's a program for moms who want to tap into their full potential and are ready to really take proactive steps to create the lives they want for themselves and for their families. So I do have a limited number of spots available. If you are interested, shoot me an email at annette at motherhoodelevated.com. That's A-N-N-E-T-T-E at motherhoodelevated.com and we'll talk. I am really excited about this program. I love teaching these tools and I love seeing lives change because of them. Okay, so let's jump into the podcast. I wanted to start out with this quote from Jane Clayson Johnson that I ran across. It's a great one. She says, it takes a lot of faith to put everything you have on the altar of God. Trust in him and know that his plan is better for you than the plan you have mapped out for yourself. So several years ago, um, my girls were each given a cute little gift with a card attached that said this sweet little phrase, always expect something wonderful to happen. Have you ever heard that? I've seen that around different places um, on wall art, in memes, um, spelled out in those cute little letter boards. And when I first read it, I thought, I love that. Yes, of course, we should always expect, you know, good things to happen, even wonderful things to happen, right? That seems like a happy way to live. So I love that little phrase so much that when I found a cute canvas with it saying on it, I bought it and put it up in our house where we would see it often and be inspired by it, right? But as the years went on and I experienced some pretty hard things, some pretty big disappointments, some setbacks, um, some failures, even when I was following my little motto of expecting wonderful things to happen, I realized that sometimes, no matter how much I wanted something or believed that it would happen, things didn't always go the way I'd hoped or planned. In fact, at times it felt like it was not too common at all for things to go as I expected or the way that I wanted them to. And there were some opportunities for myself that I really wanted that hadn't panned out. There were really good things I had prayed for and had received no for an answer. I'd been hurt by other people's words or actions even when I expected the best of them. And there were good worthy things that I wanted for my kids that just were not happening. And so, over time, I actually became a little bitter about this phrase. And I thought, well, the problem with expecting something to happen is that it just sets you up for disappointment when it doesn't go the way you want it to. And that just kind of became a fact for me, that expecting good things to happen um, was kind of pointless because guess what? Life was supposed to be hard. And once in a while, things might go our way. But for the most part, we're here to deal with disappointment. 
It's a great thought, right? I'm sad to say that my motto kind of became always expect something bad or hard or disappointing to happen. And those are great words to live by, aren't they? Definitely not the best thought I'd ever had. But the sad thing is that I really started to believe it. I believed that life was just supposed to be hard and that we weren't supposed to get what we wanted and that if things were going well and according to plan, something bad or hard must be just around the corner. Well, the problem with this way of thinking is that it doesn't create very positive emotions. And we know that our emotions are the fuel for our actions, right? So when we aren't feeling lots of positive emotion, we aren't going to be taking much positive or productive action, right? And if I'm expecting the worst to happen, I'm probably going to not only be feeling emotions like dread or worry, but I'm also going to feel and experience the emotions I'm dreading or worrying about ahead of time. Does that make sense? Like if I want to lose weight and I've tried it in the past and I haven't gotten the result I've wanted, I might use that information to assume that it's not going to work for me this time around either. And so that thought that I'm not going to get the result I want is going to generate the feeling of failure now, even before I've given myself the chance to make it happen. And I don't know about you, but expecting that I'm going to fail ahead of time at anything does not motivate very productive or positive action for me. My action from a feeling like failure looks more like procrastinating, getting distracted, uh, stress eating, other activities that are just kind of time wasters. And I'm not going to get too far with those actions, am I? Sometimes we do this with people, right? We expect a certain behavior from them, even though we might actually want a different one. And while we can't control what whether other people do what we want them to or not, we do treat them according to our expectations. And I've seen this with kids, especially teenagers, who have been treated somewhat harshly or unfairly because the expectation was that just because they're teens, that they're up to no good or that they're troublemakers or whatever. I've seen really good kids shrink from their potential because people assumed that they were just bad kids or that they were irresponsible, and so they treated them as such. And I love this quote um, from a book I'm reading um, about the teenage brain by Dr. Dan Siegel. He's quoting another author, but he says, treat people as if they were what they ought to be, and you help them become what they are capable of being. And Dr. Siegel expounds on this idea. He says, adolescents who are absorbing negative messages about who they are and what is expected of them may sink to the level, to that level, instead of realizing their true potential. And you've probably experienced this too, right? You, you kind of get a feeling of who believes in you and who sees your potential and who expects great things of you and encourages you to live up to those expectations. And then there are other people that kind of give you the opposite vibe, right? And really, we can do whatever we want and feel however we want, regardless of what others think or how they treat us, right? But it's interesting to note what kind of energy you are sending out to the people in your life. Are you treating them as though they are who, as who they are capable of becoming? Are you letting your own judgments and criticisms get in the way of seeing them as they could be at their highest potential? It's a pretty powerful shift to make. There is a really great TED Talk about expectation called Why You Don't Get What You Want, It's Not What You Expect. Go and listen to it if you like TED Talks. I listen to a lot of these and this is one of my favorites, so that's saying something. And the psychologist who is presenting talks about how we act based on what we expect which our expectation is our thought about something, right? But we, what we expect doesn't always align with what we actually want. Let me say that again. We act based on our expectation, but what we expect doesn't always align with what we want. So I really like the example she uses. It's about this woman that she was counseling who came into her office in tears one day. 
And this woman, she says, was beautiful and successful, but she really didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And she had just jumped back into the dating world um, after a divorce and was not having the best experiences with the guys she was meeting. Every date she'd been on had been kind of a bust. The guys would show up late, they would forget their wallets, things like that. And she was getting pretty discouraged with the prospects out there. So when she got a message from um, a guy wanting to meet up, she didn't really take it too seriously. And so she told him she'd meet him for coffee after her yoga class. And so she showed up for this date in her yoga workout clothes, um, sweaty, no makeup. And of course, as luck would have it, there stood before her the man of her dreams. He was good looking. He was well-groomed. He was really nice. And she was horrified. She couldn't make eye contact with him. She could barely carry on the conversation. And she ended up, after just a few minutes, telling him that she had to go put money in her meter. And then she left and never went back. (laughs) And so this woman expected a bad date. And she acted from her expectation. And when she acted from this expectation, a bad date was exactly what she got. So many times we don't get what we want in the long run because we don't really expect that it will happen. And so we kind of set ourselves up for disappointment or failure ahead of time. And then from that place of acting from our expectation of how things will go instead of how we really want things to go, we don't take the action we need to get ourselves there eventually, right? To actually get ourselves there. So I want to share with you an example of this that I noticed in the scriptures. Most of you listening are probably familiar with the story in the Book of Mormon of Nephi and his brothers and their journey back to Jerusalem to get the brass plates. Um, And so a little background on the story, in case you're not familiar with it, Nephi's father was Lehi, a prophet, and he had been told to take his family and leave their home in Jerusalem because it was going to be destroyed. And God wanted to preserve Lehi's family, and so they were told to leave their home and that God would, he said he would lead them to a promised land where they could live and prosper. Well, some of Lehi's family was up for the challenge, but others weren't too happy about this news and they proceeded to complain and rebel throughout the journey. Nephi's brothers, Laman and Lemuel in particular, right? And remember, they were told to leave all of their belongings and only take things necessary for their survival. Not really an easy thing that they were being asked to do. So after a few days of traveling, And when they got to a place where they felt safe, they stopped to kind of set up camp. And this is where Lehi received another revelation that he was to send his sons back to Jerusalem to get the brass plates, which was ancient scripture and a record of their ancestors. And it's what we now know as the Old Testament. So God knew that they needed the information and the inspiration contained in these books for themselves and for their posterity. And so he told Lehi to send his four older sons um, to go back and retrieve the plates from a man named Laban, who we find out is not exactly very helpful or a willing participant um, in this um, assignment. Well, as you can imagine, not everyone was thrilled about this commandment, particularly not those prone to complaining. But Nephi's response says volumes about his expectation of their ability to successfully complete this task with God's help. His response is one of the most frequently quoted scriptures in the church, I think. He essentially says, I will go and do what the Lord commands because the Lord does not give a commandment without providing a way for that commandment to be accomplished. And so, with Nephi leading the way, the four brothers retraced their steps back to the land that they had just left, and um, I kind of like to imagine what their conversations might have been. We don't know exactly what was said or planned, but when they got back to Jerusalem, they decided that one of them would go ask Laban for the plates. 
And so they cast lots, which was kind of the equivalent of drawing sticks, right? And Laman, the oldest and also the quickest to complain, was chosen to go and ask for the plates. Well, Laban flat out denied the request and Laman was basically chased out of the city. Well, that plan didn't work and they were discouraged, but Nephi, ever faithful, starts to formulate a new plan. And this plan was amazing. It was perfect, actually. Nephi had remembered that God had commanded Lehi and his family to leave all of their valuables and possessions behind. And they'd been pretty well off. And so in this story, as I read it, I know I'm taking some liberties here, but as I read Nephi's account, I saw this light bulb kind of go off in Nephi's head. And I could see him thinking, of course, this is the way. This is what God had in mind all along. He knew we would need these precious possessions to take before Laban to offer for a trade for the plates. This is genius. And Nephi totally had evidence that this was God's plan as well, right? He was sure of it. Um, he, have you ever had that happen? Um, I'm sure I read the account this way because I've totally done this. And maybe you have too. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks this way. But there have been times when I've wanted something to work out a certain way or go according to my plan so badly that I found proof that this was what God wanted too, that this was his plan as well. It's kind of that confirmation bias we talked about a few episodes back, right? The tendency of our brains to look for evidence to prove our thoughts true. And so if we want something to happen and we believe it will happen, we look for signs or proof that it's the right way. And this is good. We want to make plans and have goals and go after what we want. But sometimes we get so set in things happening our way that we plan everything down to the tiniest detail of how it will all play out. And then when things don't go according to our plan, it kind of derails us. And I think that's why I love the story so much um, of Nephi and how he handled this wrench that was thrown into his amazing plan. Um, Nephi believed the Lord's commandment to leave their riches behind was the way that God was providing them to get the plates. But guess what? It wasn't. He and his brothers took all of their gold and their silver and their riches to Laban. Probably not an easy thing for some of them, right? To give that up. But instead of making a deal with them, he just took all their belongings, threatened them with murder, and chased them out of the city. Now, imagine how you would have felt if you were Nephi. You knew you had been commanded by the Lord to do this. You knew it was a good thing. You knew it was the right thing. You knew that your family was counting on you. You knew, or at least thought you knew, that God had commanded you and your family to leave behind all your precious possessions for this exact purpose. It just made so much sense. It was the perfect plan. Of course this was the way. Except it wasn't. It was still Nephi's plan, not God's. God's plan would ask and require so much more of Nephi, so much more faith and trust in the Lord, so much more guidance from the Spirit, so much more courage, and so much more of God's power helping him to fulfill this commandment. Nephi's plan was a great one, but it didn't stretch him like God's plan would. So what was God's plan? I'm sure most of you know, but I better not leave the ending of the story out. Um, after they were chased out of the city, um, Nephi's two brothers, the ones who hadn't been too excited about this assignment, Laman and Lemuel, became very angry and they beat Nephi and they said some very harsh things to him. And an angel ended up intervening and basically told them that they were on God's errand and that Nephi was to lead them and that they better shape up, right? So Nephi decided that instead of making another plan, he would just head into the city, which was a dangerous thing to do, as I'm sure there were guards um, on the lookout for them, right? So Nephi went into the city just relying completely on God, not knowing what was in store, but expecting 
that God would protect him and provide a way for him to get the plates. Nephi was led to Laban, who was drunk and unconscious, and he was actually commanded to take Laban's life, which was not something Nephi was super comfortable with, right? And it took him some time to come to grips with what he had to do. But I love what the Spirit tells him. He says, it's better that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. That's how important this record was for Nephi and his posterity. It was vital to God's purposes for Nephi to get these plates. And so Nephi did as he was commanded, and then he went and obtained the plates from one of Laban's servants, who ended up actually going with Nephi and changing the course of his life um, and the lives of his posterity as well. And I think this was probably all part of God's plan all along. It's pretty powerful to me to look at the story from this perspective. And Nephi was successful because his expectation wasn't based on his plan going just the way he thought it should. He was humble, he was open to other avenues, and he believed that maybe God did have a better way. So I think this experience really prepared Nephi for the difficult and important things he would eventually be asked to do and to endure, much more than his own plan would have. He was so young, but God knew what lay ahead for Nephi and for his family, and he knew exactly how to strengthen and prepare Nephi for the obstacles he would face. And we know he faced years and years of them, right? God knew Nephi's potential, and he helped him see it too, helped Nephi see his own potential by giving him opportunities to do things he thought he couldn't do. Well, God knows what's in front of us as well, and he gives us opportunities to strengthen our faith in and our relationship with him. He gives us experiences that increase our capacity to handle difficult things. So when things don't go just how you planned, even if your plan is perfect and amazing, just know that as important as having a plan is, you also need to leave room for God to do his work in your life. This doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan, that we shouldn't move forward in faith, but it does mean that when things don't go the way we expect them to, we don't need to get discouraged. If you experience some failure, some disappointment, some humiliation, some rejection, don't give up. Don't let that get you down. I love a quote that I ran across the other day that says, the only way God can show us he is in control is to put us in situations we can't control. We crave certainty as humans, don't we? We want so much to know what's going to happen, to have a plan and to have things go exactly according to that plan. We want to be able to control what happens to us, what other people say or do to us. We don't want to be blindsided, right? But this craving for certainty can sometimes cause us problems. It can cause us to feel frustrated or resentful or even apathetic. It can cause us to give up hope or to lose faith when things fill out of our control. So back to what we talked about at the beginning with our expectations, we're going to tie this all together. What did Nephi expect? He expected that the Lord would provide a way for them to get the plates. Nephi's confidence in God wasn't based on the things going exactly according to his plan. His belief that God would help them wasn't determined by everything going as he wanted it to, right? Nephi was able to continue in faith, to continue moving forward because his expectation was that things would eventually work out. And this kept Nephi from getting discouraged, from losing his faith, and from turning back. Nephi's actions continually aligned with his expectation that God would guide him and give him the help that he needed. So I've noticed that sometimes I can set myself up, self up for disappointment when I tell myself that my plan or my way is the best. I can get so set on an idea that if it doesn't go the way I really think or hope, it can be a pretty big blow. But I've learned so much about being flexible about being open to other ways, and instead of thinking that happiness and peace come from things going according to my plan, 
being able to find peace and joy in the here and now, even in the waiting, right? Waiting for things to work out. I think, of course, many times this is all easier in hindsight, right? To see why things happened the way they did and why it ended up being a good thing, um, why God's plan was better than ours and what we learned from it and how it made us stronger. But often this is much harder to see when we're in the middle of uncertainty and when it feels like everything is just falling apart. But if you can develop the skill of stepping back in the midst of a difficult situation, whether it's just a little hiccup or a huge obstacle, if we can trust ourselves and trust in God and his ways and his purposes, we find that peace and certainty and even joy, even when we can't see the end, even when we're feeling confused or betrayed or heartbroken or discouraged. I have watched um, one of my daughters go through this process the past few months. I've mentioned on here a couple of times that she had a series of surgeries last year. Last spring, she was getting ready to graduate high school and was planning on going up to Utah that fall, and we figured that summer would be the perfect time to get a surgery that she needed to correct a problem with the bones in her right arm and wrist. And so we coordinated with the doctor and scheduled the surgery, and we were told that she would be 100% good to go to make the move and start the new fall semester up in Provo. So we made a plan, we bought her an apartment contract up there, we connected with a roommate, we bought everything she would need to live on her own 600 miles away from home, and we went forward with the surgery in July. And let me tell you, that recovery was tough. It was much harder and more painful and much more restricting than we'd expected or were prepared for. Um, but my daughter, her name is Amy, did the very best she could to stay positive and to believe that everything would be okay and that she'd be able to stick with her original plan to head up to Utah about six weeks later. And then about a week before we were supposed to go move her up, we went to the doctor thinking that we were going to get the big, heavy, cumbersome cast off of her arm. She was so excited and that she'd be able to start physical therapy and get the mobility and strength back in it so she could attend school and take care of all the other things that somebody needs to do that she needed to do while living on her own. Well, when we got to the doctor's office, the technician came in to remove the cast, and we were so happy um, that she'd made it and she could start to heal. And then the doctor came in, and she told us that actually they were going to put another cast on her for the next eight weeks. What? <laughs> we were shocked. We were stunned. We were confused, and we were pretty disappointed, to put it lightly. We thought, what about her apartment? What about her roommate? What about school? She was supposed to be driving up. Um, driving and cooking and living on her own and with this cash she couldn't even wash her hair without help so this was certainly a blow I remember the car ride home was was pretty mostly silent in fact this broke my heart but when we got in the car and started the long drive home Amy put on a song that she'd listened to over and over during the summer when she'd get discouraged it was kind of her anthem and it talks about not worrying and that things will work out and be fine but I could hear her crying quietly, trying really hard to be brave, but just feeling completely crushed. And I'm not going to lie, it was pretty heartbreaking for a mom to watch. I was crying right along with her. <laughs> but I remember our conversation just a few hours later as everything had kind of sunk in and we were able to start reassessing things. And I was amazed at her ability to come up with solutions to the obstacles that had seemed impossible just a few hours before. We started to have some glimmers of hope that maybe this plan wouldn't look exactly how we thought, but that maybe things would still work out. So that next week, we loaded up the car and we got on the road and headed up north. We got her all moved in and met her roommate. She went to a new singles ward that weekend. And for the next few months, she ended up going back and forth, traveling to and from Utah for doctor's appointments and check-ins. 
Um, well, it felt like every appointment from that time out was more unexpected bad news. In fact, we kind of dreaded going and would brace ourselves for every appointment because we knew we'd probably hear something we didn't want to, especially the news that she would need another surgery in December. The bones were healing much more slowly than they'd expected, and they wanted to place some plates in her arm, and she would end up being in the cast even longer, which meant an even longer, more difficult rehab. So she had officially planned on starting school in January, for reals this time, but as things went longer and longer, we realized she probably wouldn't be in a great position to start um, school with her right hand still incapacitated. So we reevaluated again, and she eventually decided to sell her contract and move back home so she could recover. Um, so here we are, more than seven months post-surgery, and she is still trying to retrain her hand to write, to get the flexibility and motion back, um, living at home and trying to figure out what her next step will be, and completely off of her initial plan. Um, it's been totally crazy and not how we envisioned this year going at all. But we actually had a great conversation the other day on the way to another follow-up doctor's appointment. And this sweet girl said to me, I just keep telling myself that this is exactly how things were supposed to go. And that all of this will end up being a good thing and that it will teach me what I need to learn and help get me where I need to go. Um, and in that moment, my heart just wanted to burst because I know the disappointment and the tears and the frustration and the pain, both physical and emotional, that she'd experienced over the past seven months. And I'd seen the lows and they were pretty low. And I'd seen the heartbreak and the confusion and I knew that she had worked really hard mentally and emotionally to get to this place. And I was really proud of her. And I think she's learned some valuable lessons from all of this. She has seen that she's capable of handling fears and disappointments and detours and obstacles. It's been really hard, but I'm amazed at her faith and her optimism when she's still in a place of uncertainty with lots of questions. And that's what faith is, isn't it? Just putting one foot in front of the other, even when we don't know the outcome, even when we feel like we've been forgotten, even when it's hard to keep hoping when we've experienced disappointment after disappointment, right? I have witnessed this multiple times in my life. I've watched in amazement as people I know and love have chosen faith and courage when the plans they had all mapped out were completely derailed and altered. But what else can we do? What's the other option, right? To give up? To stay resentful or angry? To miss out on new opportunities and to be blind to the miracles of God doing his work in our lives? So what does this mean for us really? I remember hearing Elder Holland's response to a question he was asked about how our agency works with God's will. And he said that God does take into account what we want and he does have a plan for us, but that his will is big enough to fit some of our will into it. And that oftentimes our plan does fit into God's plan for us. But sometimes it doesn't. And we have to be patient and faithful in those circumstances. He said that the greatest lesson of the Savior's life was his obedience and his willingness in the garden to accept his Father's will, even when he hoped and prayed that there was a different option. And then Elder Holland quoted what a Baptist preacher had once said to him, which is, what I've learned in this life is that we can have what we want or something better. And Elder Holland went on to say, I think that's the way God sees it. The only time you wouldn't get what you want is if he has something better. And I love that. God knows what we don't know and he sees what we can't see but when we exercise faith in him in his will and his timing for us he will bless us with even better things than we think 
than what we think we want. So for some reason, we expect certainty. We want to be sure of things before we commit to them. We want all of the answers. We want everything to go according to the plan, usually our plan. And we want to know what the outcome will be. We want to predict. We want to feel in control. And in a world where we experience uncertainty all the time, it's kind of funny that we're, we're still so set on it, right? Maybe that's why our brains are always trying to assign order to chaos and why we want to understand. We want to see patterns. We want to, things to make sense and be predictable. And when we can't do these things, we kind of panic. We think something's gone wrong and we think that our plan is getting all messed up. But if we can kind of take a step back and realize that even though things aren't going as we expected or planned, again, God is still in control. He knows us. He knows our situation and he does not forget us. That's so important to remember. So back to our Book of Mormon story, I was thinking about the difference between Nephi's experience and Laman and Lemuel's experience. Nephi and his brothers endured the same challenges on their journey, right? But Nephi was able to experience them without all the frustration and complaining and anger, right? There was a big difference. And if we can see the obstacles and detours that come up in our lives as opportunities for growth, as lessons that are teaching us about ourselves and about God, and about our own capabilities and potential as his children. And if we can open ourselves up to see the bigger plan and to see God's hand in our lives, we will be able to move forward with more peace and more confidence when the unexpected comes. So I can now look at that little sign on my wall and know that expecting wonderful things to happen doesn't necessarily mean expecting them to happen in my way or according to my timing. I can release the control a little and expect that I can trust God, that he knows exactly what I need, and that he will take care of me. So take a look at your expectations and how much of your happiness you are forfeiting when they aren't being met. And remember that your expectations guide your actions. Expect the best of the people in your life. Expect the best of yourself. And learn to expect good things. But don't let your emotions be controlled by whether they happen exactly the way you want them to. Be okay with the unknown and be willing to exercise a little faith and leave room in your plans and in your expectations for God to do his work. Okay, that's what I have for you today. I hope you all have a great week, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye now. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to check out my website at motherhoodelevated.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session to see what working with me looks like as well as find information on classes I offer or get on the list for some weekly inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's motherhoodelevated.com. Have a great week.